business rock stars. Kelly Kennedy here. And today I wanted to introduce you to my business, Capital Business Development, where we don't just see businesses. We see your potential to change the world. We see your passion, your dedication, and drive to do something extraordinary. And we're here to help you bring that vision to life. At Capital Business Development, we understand that behind every business is a visionary, someone with the determination to make a difference. Whether you're a startup with a big idea or an established company aiming to expand your impact, we're here to support you every step of the way. Our mission goes beyond traditional business development. We're committed to nurturing your dreams and empowering you to achieve greatness. From strategic planning and networking to hands-on support and personalized coaching, we provide the tools and guidance you need to succeed. So if you're ready to transform your vision into reality, look no further than Capital Business Development. Visit us today at www.capitalbd.ca to learn more about how we can help you unleash your potential to change the world. Your dreams matter. Let's make them happen together. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Welcome to episode 52 of the Business Development Podcast. And on today's episode, we have founder and CEO of MBC Group and EcoClaim out of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Ross Hewitt. Stay tuned. The great Mark Cuban once said, business happens over years and years. Value is measured in the total upside of a business relationship, not by how much you squeezed out in any one deal. And we couldn't agree more. This is the Business Development Podcast. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And broadcasting to the world. You'll get expert business development advice, tips and experiences. And you'll hear interviews with business owners, CEOs, and business development reps. You'll get actionable advice on how to grow business. Brought to you by Capital Business Development. CapitalBD.ca Let's do it. Welcome to the Business Development Podcast. And now your expert host, Kelly Kennedy. Hello, welcome to episode 52 of the Business Development Podcast. And today I have an absolutely amazing expert guest, President and CEO of MBC Group, Ross Stewart. Ross is the President and CEO of MBC Group, a multidisciplinary consulting firm. With almost 20 years of experience, he is recognized for his energy, integrity, and expertise, earning numerous awards and accolades. Ross is passionate about sustainability, innovation, and client-centric solutions. He holds a Bachelor of Science with first-class honors from the University of Northumbria in Newcastle, England, along with PQS, MRICS, and GSC designations. Ross is an active member of professional associations, including the Young Presidents Organization, the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors, and Insurance Professionals of Calgary. He is a captivating speaker and has appeared on podcasts like Uncaged and Knowledge Counts. Based in Calgary, Ross collaborates with experts often traveling to share his knowledge and provide specialized assistance in emergencies. He is committed to continuous improvement and making a positive impact in his field and beyond. Ross, it's a pleasure to have you. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me. I realize in hindsight that that may have been a rather long-winded introduction of mine from the corporate bio. 
but um, that, I, I, yeah, so I'll remember that for next No, time. no, not at all. I, you know what? I say this all the time. I'm always impressed by the level and caliber of guests that we get on this show. We have such like amazing entrepreneurs on this show and you guys all have such great stories and I don't mind. Heck, if I mess it up, you know, I mean, all, all of our listeners probably know this already. If I mess it up, I typically go back and fix it because I always love to give people a great introduction because, you know, the reality is you've earned it. You know, you guys have worked 20 years to get there. So uh, I, I will do my best not to screw it up. <laughs> no, no, I, I joke. I laugh because it was very it's it's very much the uh, it sounds very, very much the corporate version when you hear it back to yourself. You know, it's different when you read yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally, totally. But you know what? I don't think anybody is comfortable with their bios. I, I, <laughs> true, true. I think it always feels a little bigger and bolder, but the reality is it's not. That's truly who you are. Yeah. It's just us as people uh, like to hide a little bit sometimes. We don't like to be that that front-facing. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it's there's a big difference, you know, like I when I sort of started the business at 26 or what have you, it, it, you have to have the right balance of ego meets confidence. Yes. Right. And so, yeah, but I've also been very cognizant of not to have been too sort of ego driven because it, it, it's not necessarily a good look. No, no. But on the flip side, like you said, you hit on confidence and confidence is absolutely critical in business, right? You can't go into Correct. any boardroom and pitch a product and do it unconfidently and win. <laughs> no. And I was, it's interesting because I always, um, I always say to people, you know, I, I, part of my job is sales. Any president's always representing that company. And, but I don't really sell because it's, it's going to sound corny and cliche, and, you know, whether it's NBC or whether it's EcoClaim, I'm genuinely passionate about those things I've yes. built. And so I think that kind of comes out because I get all, I get I get excited and then quite often it's infectious. And then before, you know, the client's excited or the other side yeah. and it, that's how things tend to go. Of course, sometimes you get people that just aren't excited and you're sat there clutching at straws trying to find something. But <laughs> I've been in plenty of both of those meetings. And uh, yeah, I'll take yeah. the first one any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> so Ross, you know, when we first, you know, I, first off, my kind of connection to you is we connected on LinkedIn and I've been following you now kind of probably for about a year, actually, just kind of off and on. And I've absolutely loved your social game. And I know at some point I'm like, you look, I got to get a hold of Ross. I got to get him on the show. I want to have a conversation with him because you're always doing like, you always look like you're having the best time. Like I, I love, I love <laughs> seeing what's going on in your world. Like, and I, and I feel like you're so good at it too. You've really nailed kind of like your social media presence and like a, just a great mix of business and, and fun and who you are. Like you really showcase who yeah. you are as a person. And I love that about you, but I, you know, I want to get into that further down the show and we definitely will. Cause I think you have an amazing strategy and I think it emulated by anybody would be a great idea, but I want you to take me back to the beginning. Cause I know when we first kind of had our first conversation, you were giving me your background and you know, you came from the UK and you were, your background was in quantity surveying. And I, That's you know, right. I mean, maybe just naive Kelly, but I'm like, what in the world? I've, I've been in construction here for years and I've never come across that term. Can you maybe take us back yeah. to the beginning of, of your career? And, and when you got into quantity surveying, maybe educate the public on what it is and then bring us up, bring us to today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting because I, I'll be honest, when I, uh, when I picked my degree choice, as everyone does, when you I think it was year 18, and you're like, okay, now decide what you want to do for the rest of your life, which is a little bit again, yeah. uh, I don't think you're in the best position to decide that at 18, no. but you do. And so very much I was looking at uh, 
professions. It was 2000 and when was it? 2005 or six it was when I was looking and um, the construction was booming. And, you know, I'd always had a bit of a travel bug. My sister had moved to the U.S. sort of five years before this this point. And it wasn't because she moved, but we'd always traveled and I just wanted to go see the world. And so I was looking at professions that potentially aligned with that, that didn't require, you know, if you become an engineer, for example, you have to then be, you have to then get all the engineering bodies and affiliates are all country specific, state specific. And so freedom of movement is not as easy, shall we yeah. say? Whereas there's a, uh, an institution called the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors has been around since 1650-ish uh, around wow. there. So a, a long-standing institution by parliament yeah. in the UK. Um, but the real reason is I was looking through courses um, and I wanted to stay relatively close to home at this point because I knew I just wanted to head out into the world once I was done. And uh, Northumbria offered uh, a bachelor's in quantity surveying. And I had no idea what that was either, to be honest with you, when I was 18. Yeah. And um, and so I did some research and it turned out there was there was a lot of companies, it was in high demand. And so there's a lot of companies offering to uh, sponsor university. So, in, and don't get me wrong, in the UK, I was the first year, it was free before, if I was a year older, it would have been free. Yeah. Um, but the UK changed that and it became, yeah, pay somewhat so i uh i applied to it and then in conjunction with that i got i did get accepted uh and then i applied to a few sponsored student programs and the idea behind that is they provide you like a bit of an allowance they essentially pay for your university and the expectation is you come work for them for a, a minimum period of time after university okay. and so i think it's a good way to capture talent and the also a great way to get work experience while you're at university, which is what I yeah. did. The so that was primarily the reason behind it, to be honest, was travel. And I had no idea how much of a complex profession it was and how widespread it is. I mean, outside of North America, it's very it's part of construction. Yeah. You know, clients have quantity surveyors, contractors do, subcontractors do, and it really is the commercial management of construction from both direct site, but also legalities of procurement and all that exciting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I went to University of Northumbria to do that, which was around a, a four-year degree. One of those was work experience. And it's a good point to know, because actually I've never even thought of this connection until right now. But when you, hindsight's wonderful, because when you look back over the course of your life and your career, if certain, if, if you didn't, if this didn't happen, you don't think they're related. Yeah. But when you work it back, and so in 2008, I think it was, I went to work for Vinci, who was yep. the, the company that sponsored me. And I went to work for them for a, a sort of a gap year, if you will, it called a year in industry. And we they were constructing, well, actually it was Taylor Woodrow at the time who got acquired by Vinci. Sure. But they were um, building Whiston Hospital in the UK. So they were demolishing a Victorian hospital that was a few hundred years old and essentially constructing one of the largest new hospitals in the UK at the time. So a, 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 I think like a 10-year project or from start to finish. Wow. And so I was placed on site there, part of the commercial management team. And, you know, as with it, that's what I tell everyone as well. People think, you know, everyone does the, the crappy jobs when you first start. 
right? Because that's how you learn, yeah, yeah. right? And so a lot of times now, there's like some people feel it's, uh, I don't know, beneath them, if you will. But, you know, when you go there, you're essentially a glorified admin because you're at the bottom of the, 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 the totem pole. But what I decided to do was use that as a learning opportunity, right? And just soak up as much as you could. Incidentally, it was also where I met my my boss at the time, who was the, the lead quantity surveyor. Uh, we got on very well. And he ultimately, while I was there, moved to New Zealand. Not not for any, just wanted to move across the world, got a visa. And so he left towards the end of my year there. Then I went back to university. Um, of course, in 2000, towards the end of 2008, you can appreciate if everyone remembers that financial crisis. Yeah. And so as with and construction is very, very much directly tied to the economy. And so my choice of quantity surveying wasn't looking too hot come to come the last year of university <laughs> because by 2009, yeah. the recession, it sort of was starting to really take a yeah. hold. And um, so I was sat there being like, and then of course in 2009, the Vinci then canceled all their sponsored students, basically said, you don't have to give us anything back, but we're not taking anyone yeah. on. Yeah. Which again, you can understand they didn't have any work. Sure. People, so, so I started then looking for, I guess, initially jobs in the UK, because again, you're never going to be able to leave and go abroad with no experience first. And so I was lucky enough to get, um, what a big asset. It was like a thousand people showed up and it was essentially a graduate program with like 30 spots. And uh, for, for Barrett Developments, they were the UK's largest house builder. And so... I actually got on their graduate program and it was quite unique because the first year you would spend, you would spend uh, three months in each of their departments. So you'd spend three months in your QSing, three months in sales, three months in finance, three months in land. Yeah. And so you got exposure to all their business units, which you would n- never normally do. And then in the last year you picked one and went into it. And so that was, um, that was really interesting. And I think that's really where I got my, under really early understanding of what makes a business run it wasn't just like as a quantity surveyor you're doing one small piece of the overall organization however critical it may be there's still a lot of other facets and so getting exposed to that was was i guess sparked my interest in 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 all of it and i didn't really know i was an entrepreneur because again yeah i didn't have any exposure to what that was back then i mean it's i think it's a bit different now with social media Um, and so as I got accepted to that, got through the first year and I I mentioned things tying together, well, out the blue, I got a, well, not out the blue, but you'll remember in 2010, the, the Christ church earthquake happened. And so my, if you remember my previous boss at Vinci had moved out there. So he actually took the opportunity to start his own firm and provide consulting on damage infrastructure properties as a result of the earthquake yeah. and so he called me because i guess he knew sort of what i what i was like or even though i was sort of relatively inexperienced still and um so yeah i got a what's it called there's a i think it's iec international experience that one's canada so anyway if you're under 35 you can essentially get two two visas to, if in canada or australia to go work there for a year or yeah. two and so I did that for New Zealand. It took a few, a couple of months, and then 
decided to to go to New Zealand and Christchurch. And if you drill through the earth, you literally could not get somewhere further away from where I was born. <laughs> and so it kind of worked out well, that, I yeah. guess. I wanted to move. Yeah. Um, and we, and so yeah, packed up, went over there. It never even been that side of the world. Never been to Australia. So I, I, I knew the Queen was on the money. So I thought I, you know, probably feel all yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, they, they spoke English. That was critical. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, they spoke English. The Queen was there. There's some kind of connection. Yeah. So I'm sure it'll be all yeah. right. And uh, yeah, I went out there. And when I first landed, which was like a 42 hour journey. Wow. Right. It's it's uh, it's a good amount of time. And I'd never seen an earthquake um, stricken city before. Most, and most it was it's, it was quite like <laughs> but i still remember i but i can still it was like it's weird you know if you've ever been to universal studios and you know like uh you know that 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 ride where the water comes rushing in the subway i think everyone knows that if you've ever been and it, it just really felt like a movie set because a lot of the buildings and areas were cordoned off still for safety yeah. But you could look through the fences and you could see like coffees and sandwiches in the coffee shop still and so it was a bit, yeah, yeah, it just was very apocalypse-esque, it felt like. Wow. Like, what was that like? Because that would have been a fairly new experience. Like, obviously, you've just come literally around the world. So you're still dealing with, you know, the, the shock of that. And then you end up in a place yeah. that's, that's, that the infrastructure is a mess, you know? Yeah, you know, I've never looked at it like that. Because for me, it was always like, it's, it always seemed like an adventure. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, and I only got diagnosed a couple of years ago, but I, so I have ADHD and which explains a lot of my behavior from like, from childhood to, to three years that ago. Um, <laughs> and so I, right. And so I, I believe one of the traits of ADHD is sort of, uh, your risk compass of, of, for lack of a better term, doesn't work quite the same as others. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, we'll go to New Zealand on an adventure. It just never occurred to me that it was like, I never thought of it like yeah. that. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah. No. Cause like, you know, you think about it and I feel like that, that trip on its own on a regular day would have been challenging for most people, even though it's English speaking, it's a completely different country. You're literally going there to live. Like, it's not like you're on vacation. No, no one. Right. And then, and then on top of that, you get there and like it's it's the infrastructure is a mess you know you're having to deal with a natural disaster an incredibly bad one i feel like yeah. you know that would have been incredibly hard for most people like what what were you feeling at that time yeah you, like, as i said it made, it's it's quite a somber feeling but it also again having worked in lots of catastrophes since due to the nature of the work we yeah. do the resilience of people and communities never ceases to amaze you so we talk about it being a catastrophic event which it was um, and there was some loss of life in the second earthquake, which was tragic and could have been avoided. But all in all, on the backdrop of the significance and size of it, I think the casualties were fairly limited. Not that any casualties are accepted, to be clear, acceptable rather. Um, but again, the resilience of the people. Within months, they'd set up a new downtown using shipping containers for stores. And like you can tell it's important for communities to have their centralized spots, yep. you know, the center of towns. And so I think they did as much as they could to sort of come bring some normality back. Now, I always say this to people and, you know, cause we're in the insurance world, 
it is a tragic catastrophe that you'd not want to go through anyone to go through losing their home, their business, loved ones, anything like that. But when it's all said and done, mother nature did it. Not a, we didn't do yeah. it. And so at the end of the day, I, I'm a, I'm a glass half full type of guy. I think you have to be as well as an entrepreneur. Sure. Yeah. Um, and the city had the New Zealand was in an economic boom. I, I, I don't know if it still is because I haven't checked on, on geopolitics in a while, but for a long time it was. And the reason for that is you had around a city of about half a million people, not very big, like half the size of Calgary, mm-hmm. had around 40 to $60 billion pumped into it from insurance companies, the government. And so the economic injection and benefit to the city was massive yeah, absolutely wow that's a lot considering the size right and so i mean i, I don't know the gdp of new zealand but i'm hedging my bets it's not that or <laughs> might be not, not. <laughs> yeah wow and so the and to me that was the thing that was the main takeaway was people's resilience coming together um and experiencing that and also, to be honest with you, it's where I kind of had my first go at entrepreneurship and it didn't work. So, but we all have, I, um, whilst I was working with the, the gentleman that had brought me over, what my fam, some of my family have a business in, in the UK and they essentially train people to do trades. So in the UK, plastering is a big thing because they plaster houses okay. still, right? Tiling is painting. They're all in-demand trades. Yeah. And so they essentially have a, a bit of a trade school, government funded it. Da, da, da. And so I tried the same concept. You know, I was like, this is a, a earthquake damaged city. There's less, less of trade. Surely this would work. And so we kind of got it off the ground, had some classes go through, but it just wasn't, again, I would say the little knowledge I had about business. I kind of cringe looking yeah. back, yeah. but you have to try somewhere. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You learn somewhere. Yeah, and so it was. It wasn't. It wasn't a super expensive endeavor, but it, it didn't work. And but it doesn't didn't deter me per se. Yeah. And then the I think about a year and a bit into it, my the gentleman that brought me over decided he just he, he had we had about five people at the time, and he just hated mm-hmm. it. He hated. He just he wanted to just he realized he didn't want to have other people to have to rely on him. And so he basically said that he was going to, he's going to move to the North, take his selected clients and just do the work himself and just didn't want to have to, to, yeah, to manage, manage a team. Yeah. And so I then, I was like, all right, well, I'm out in New Zealand here. So I was like, but luckily the, my skill set and profession was in high demand still. Yeah. So it wasn't really tough to get a, a, a another job. And so at that time I'd got another job, but it, this was like a year and a half into it. And I was sort of a city of half a million people in the middle of nowhere. Just, I never saw myself staying in New Zealand forever. Yeah. yeah. And with having a sister in North America, a couple of friends in North America, I'd sort of always wanted to move out this way and, and uh, started sort of looking at opportunities. Now, I guess sharing something personal, not everyone knows. But I think in 2013, about three weeks before I was due to travel to Canada, I had, um, and I was very fit by the way, I was doing CrossFit, I was running. Yeah. Um, I actually had a stroke. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had a mini stroke. And um, I remember going to 
going to the hospital, getting the my roommate to take me to the hospital because I was kind of I was like googling what was wrong and it was like stroke. Yeah. And it was oh, so that was a weird feeling. Yeah. And they did all these tests and never and essentially said, you know, sometimes a bit of some plaque can break off and cause an issue. Um but there was never anything identified and touch wood, everything's been good since. Yeah. Um, but that was it. That would now talk about scary. Now that's probably the only time I've been scared, I would yeah. say. Because you're when you're in when you're 10,000 miles away from your family and you're in hospital mm -hmm. and you're supposed to be taking a flight in a few weeks and you can't like you, my ability to like text, for example, yeah. and like find words had gone. Wow. It comes back, yeah. but, but it's, it's a weird experience. I remember being stood in a subway trying to order a sandwich yeah. and I'm looking at these onions and my, I just cannot find the word. Like I'm like trying to say it and it's just not coming so out. You're, so you're aware. <laughs> Like you're very aware that you can't you can't find the the word. Hundred percent. You're like <laughs> I, you, you kind of know what it, it's so weird. You know what it is, but your brain's just not telling oh, you. So wow. But luckily, I was um, yeah, everything sort of was fine, and me being me, I think I was back working out in a couple of weeks, yeah. <laughs> and um, and then packed up my bags and headed to Canada. Incidentally, I didn't. I had a job offer. Um, I didn't have a visa because they had a pilot scheme in Alberta in 2013. So if you're a construction estimator, which essentially cute, that's a function of quantity yep. surveying. Um, they, you could get a pilot visa to come in because there were, it was in demand. Yep. Um, <laughs> of course it was never going to be that easy. <laughs> so I showed up to Calgary airport yep. with my suitcases and, uh, you know, and I was I, I was dreading this because I don't know if you've, if you've dealt with immigration consultants, it just depends on the person and personality type you get, not facts. And I got in line and I'm standing in line and I can see all the immigration officers. And I'm like, there was one, one that looked like Scully off, Mon not Scully, you know, the, you know, the uh, librarian on Monsters yeah, Inc. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's what she looked like. <laughs> and I was like, and I was standing there going, please not her. <laughs> And obviously that was the one I yeah, got. Yeah. And um, and it was a good start because she'd never heard of this visa I was talking about. So I was like, so I had to show all the information for yeah. that. And then she notionally decided that I didn't have a piece of paper from the Canadian Institute Quantity Surveyors to certify what I was. You don't really need that, but you can't argue with them. Yeah, fair, yeah. And so she actually gave me five days to get it. And I was like, well, I'll... Being British, you usually are about 90 days. Yeah. But she was like, not today, you're not. I was like, okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, and then, so I got that piece of paper, drove down to, to Lethbridge, you know, do the crossing. Yeah. Went around the flagpole, um, got an immigration officer, super friendly, didn't even look at the piece of paper that I had and said, yeah, you're good, there you go. And I was in Canada. <laughs> That was the, that was how I arrived. A bit of a a bit of a land and tumble well, yeah, that I got yeah, here. Yeah, you went around the flagpole. <laughs> yeah. and, I start, and um, and funnily enough, not that I, I would come to know this later, but I pretty much, I pretty much met my wife to be, um, like day one. I mean, we weren't going to get, we yeah. weren't, we, we never, we weren't going to date for three years following. Yeah. But um, but it was interesting that almost day one I met my wife. Wow, where where? So she worked at a, a diner called Reds here in Calgary okay. and uh, downtown, and I'd moved in around the corner. Yeah. 
uh, just in a, an apartment. And yeah, that was the local breakfast hangout. So cool, cool. It was, um, and then worked for a company providing quantity surveying services. Here, it's really just the QS is more of a. It's more project advisory, okay. so advising on costs, bringing a budget, certifying payments and progress, those sort of things. Yeah, yeah. And so I worked for, but honestly, that was not where my my passion lies. Is doing estimates. Like I've always been able to do them, of course, but just wasn't for me sitting sure. behind a computer eight ten hours a That's day. Fair. But I then luckily got headhunted um, by a con- um, by a consulting firm. Um, in the insurance industry here based on again based on the fact that i'd spent the last two years assessing earthquake damages so again that what i what i didn't realize going out in new zealand (laughs) would be that just that entire two-year period was really laying the foundations for what was about to become mbc and again and you just you just don't fathom it because you i don't know you just you're not able to see those dots yet yeah. And um, so I was headhunted, um, went to work for that company, uh, worked there for about a year and a half, absolutely loved the job. You know, for me, I think it's a little bit of the ADHD again, but in standard construction, you often get put on a um, put on a project for a long time. Yeah. Like the hospital, 10-year period. So there was QSs on that hospital for 10 yes. years. That's a good part of your life. Yes. Right? <laughs> and... Um, and so with insurance, what would happen is you'd get an assignment every like a couple of weeks, just the help, but it would be totally different. Yeah. So like someone's supermarket could have had a fire and they need to get back up in business and you're supporting it. Uh, someone's someone's home's tragically had a loss and you're going to get there and, and, and let them know how it's going to get reinstated and the timeline is so yucky. There's, yes, you're there to advise the insurance company on the facts, yeah. but you're also there to alleviate the insured and and let them know that there's actually going to be an end in sight to this. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I loved about it was just that it was very, very client facing client facing in a time of need, which often brings it's either positive or negative emotional connotations, which can make projects interesting. Um, And so that client service side of it, I always loved and the variety of the work I always loved. And so it was, um, I found my sweet spot, I thought. Well, what, what, like you said, you know, you didn't get stuck in a same project for 10 years. You, you get a very well-rounded experience exposure, right? Right. Yeah, because we've worked on hospitals, pipelines, schools, yes. and it's all tied to insurance, but it's those projects nonetheless. That's right. That's right. You know, I, I've always found that very valuable in my career, too, is that I've had a very wide range of companies that I've worked with in a lot of different industries. So same thing. It's you learn something new at each and every one of them and you don't get that yes. experience unless you, unless you take on those, you know, those extra clients. And yeah, unfortunately, if you get stuck somewhere for 10 years, you know, you might be really great at that one thing, but it's just that one thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And th- again, there's nothing wrong with specializing. Yeah. It just really depends what you want to do. And for me, it was all construction. So it was all nuts and bolts really when you boil it down. Sure. There's it's, it's, more complex, less complex, different building strategies, code. But at the end of the day, it's putting components together, yes. right? And so that's how quantity, that's what quantity surveyors do, quantify construction. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so weird that like, because yeah, like you, you explained to me the various aspects of it, but it's like here, all of those aspects are an individual job. Correct. <laughs> Where yeah. 
Yeah, it's weird. I, 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 the, in the UK, you essentially have two groups on site, yeah. the construction managers, which would be your project managers, then your, then your commercial team, which is the quantity surveyors. Yeah. The construction manager's job is to get, the, get it constructed to the schedule ASAP. It, it often a total disregard for finance. The QS's job is to make sure that that is actually, sort of you, held accountable. Care. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So you can see why it works because one wants to get it done, but one wants to be like, yes, but within these means, right. and it's your job to work that yeah. out. So rather than prevent overruns, ensure, no, I mean, not that it does prevent it, of course, but you, good QSing can help a, a construction project do very yeah. well. It's it's an all-encompassing management. Yeah, I would say, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tell people it really is the com commercial management of construction. So that includes everything from the contracts um, all the way through to, to overseeing the, the budget during construction, final accounting and wrap-up. Like they have a, a big role to play. Now in, in Canada, quantity surveyors have been pigeonholed a little bit, it seems, primarily as sort of providing services to banks to monitor loans okay. to protect banks interests which again is fine but to me it's just a very it seems a very small part of what they can yes. do yes but canada whilst it has lots of british influence equally has lots of u.s influence yes. and i think construction here more deeply represents the u.s model than it does the the sort of uk model yeah yeah i, I would agree with that except for the parliament <laughs> Yeah, except for parliaments, they still, yeah. still wear their wigs right. and all the rest of it. Right. We, we still, we still, we still shout nonsense at each other across the way. Yeah. It's still the king's bench as well. Right? So. Okay, so so tell me, okay, so you know, you got into that insurance aspect of it. Now take us into your to MBC Group. How did that happen? Yeah, that's where the fun starts, I guess. Um, the yeah, I mean, I'll just, I I don't mind being open about this. So set, long story short, I was within a year at this company, I was sort of the highest biller, like the the, <laughs> the top producer. I had a client following. I loved what I was doing. Yeah. I, I had a lot of the team in the office working with me, like on my things, because, again, that's where I learned relationships, business development. Like I didn't call it that. I just did yeah. it. <laughs> and it's like a natural thing. And so, but I got to a point, and it honestly all started with wanting to get a mortgage, I'll be honest. So the job had a commission element to it. So the, on, on your billable hours. So I was, I was paid fairly well, but I want, but of course, after such a killer first year and I wanted to get a mortgage and turns out at the time companies didn't really care about your commission unless you had it for, I think it was like a two, three year period. Yeah. And so my base salary didn't look great. And so I went, I went to the company and said, you know, here's what I, again, Mr. Prepared, I don't just go in because too many people go in and say, oh, well, I want more money because I've done well, but like, you got to come with some metrics, yeah. right? And so I put all those metrics together, demonstrate, I even assessed, I even like guessed how profitable I'd be based on what I yeah. knew. And, um, and I said, I just asked, I wanted $10,000 more. And they came back and they basically said yes, but then it was kind of like, did taking it from here. Yeah. So like lowering your commission and, and I'm like, well, that doesn't like, I just, I just had the best year of anyone. Yeah. And anyway, so that kind of like, but I was like, you know what? Fine. Okay. Okay. So I then went back and said, well, I, at the time that started this new division that was handling sort of complex work. And I essentially offered, I said, if you make me associate director, like your number two, 
with no pay increase, I'll 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 show you what I can do. Like I'll earn that over the year because I love the job. And and um <laughs> and they came back and just said no. And I said, okay, well, fair enough. So, but at this point, I'd been approached by lots of competitors sure. and what have you, and I hadn't really bothered looking, but I'm like, okay, well. And then I talked to several of them, some big companies. And to be honest, the offers was, it was sort of a sideways move. Yeah. And I was like, well, it doesn't really make sense to me. And so I was looking at my options and I thought, well, why not just start? Why not just do it myself? I was like, you know, I, I think I can. And so I made the decision and I started a company at the time called Pace. Okay. Um, obviously representing speed, if you yeah. will. But it actually was an acronym, but for some reason that acronym completely has gone from my brain right now. Um, <laughs> That's fair. Because it was obviously that memorable. A while ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I was going to tell my boss at the time because we'd work closely together. And I know I, I, I told someone who was a, I thought was a trusted client, like close to yeah. me, and I'd only told the one person. And so then I remember getting a call from my boss at the time. He'd be like, oh, we've heard this. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, I won't say his name. Yeah. I nearly did. I said, well, you know, I, I, um, I wanted to talk to you in person. I said, I didn't want to tell you over the phone when you're in Toronto. Um, but this is, and then he actually was really angry, told me I was short-sighted um, and sort of hung up. I got disconnected from the company stuff and, and then left in fire and brimstone. Mm. Um and I, I distinctly remember, bear in mind, I was just a consultant in Calgary. I distinctly remember them sending an email out across the entire company that I'd left and I was not to be talked oh, to. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah. So, yeah. So, like, so I, you wouldn't, I couldn't get a raise. I couldn't get a promotion to earn the raise, but you're worried that I'm going to do something. So, like, if, if you're worried, surely would you not have? So, I've always made sure in business to like keep an eye on yeah, that. Totally. It- it's it's frankly just being aware of the big picture, right? And um, right, yeah, yeah, it seems very true. And some of our best leaders are our young ones. Like I say, young because I'm only 35; they're 30, so young and yeah. you know, take it with a pinch of yeah. salt. But it, and don't get us wrong; it hasn't always worked. But a lot of the times, when you believe in people and you give them the tools, and they've got a, I hate to say it, but you do have to have a bit of killer instinct. Yeah. If you don't, it you can't take that leap at that age. Yeah, me. Right, because people need to know you're serious, and sometimes at a under thirty, you're not necessarily taken as seriously as you could totally. be. Yeah, me right? and you are the same but, age. Um, I'm thirty four, just about thirty five. There you go. I, I got into business development when I was twenty three, and as you can imagine, right, being yeah. the young punk, twenty three um, at the yeah. time, I was I don't know that would have been around twenty twelve. And, you know, you're going into meetings with 65 year olds, you know, executives and trying to convince them that the firm you're working for is a great firm that you should check out. And they're like, you know what you're talking about, what does he know? Right. So I totally, you know, I I totally get that. You had to learn it for me. I had to develop it young because I was young. I was just given a good position young and I had to figure it out. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, again, um, I like to think I'm good at public speaking. I I enjoy giving seminars, presentations because I get very animated and into it and it feels natural but it didn't just like was i always had that confidence piece i I remember when i first started the business and one again there was no strategy behind it it was i needed to get in front of anyone that could give me work like any any client demographic and that's all i did it wasn't strategic a lot of it was a waste of time but a lot of that brute force work 
And I remember giving seminars to like rooms of people and being like really nervous. Totally. Like I would get like for some reason, and it happens sometimes. It's not due to nerves, but I, I my face just gets red or flushed, yeah. and and it's not because I'm nervous. I think it's just a. a adrenaline response well, i talk about this a lot because like even though like you know talking to me i probably seem very extroverted but i i was a very introverted person um you know i right. became extroverted in business development when that became my role but it was a learned skill i did not start this way i was not always extroverted and so i still struggle yeah. with you know performance anxiety on occasion right especially with speeches or like big pitches or stuff like that there's still moments where even for me, I've done thousands of them. I still have that moment. And I, and I think, you know, I mean, I, I would venture to say there's a lot of introverted people that have become extroverted in order sure. to accommodate the role that they have ended up in. But, um, you know, it's funny. It's so funny. You know, I was talking to you earlier, right before this, my, 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 my this week's guest is actually an organizational psychologist. <laughs> and yeah. so we were literally just talking about this and how there's a lot of introverted people that are in extroverted positions. It's a very common thing these days. And it- I've always, I, I always thought I was an extrovert. And, but I've, I'm not like, it's not that I'm, I give an example, an extrovert. This is how, this is how it works for me. An extrovert gets energy from being extroverted and with others mm-hmm. i don't like i start with lots of energy yeah, yeah adhd and then it goes like this and that's why like that's why i'm typically don't do, unless i'm on the road you'll not usually ever catch me at anything evening related in in calgary yeah. Yep. I would say, I think that that's normal, Ross. I think that by the time you get to the higher level executives in most companies, I bet you that that is the case for, I would say 80% of them at least. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest change for me, and I mean, we're not like a billion dollar company or anything. I think we've got about 130 people, but it is kind of interesting because I, you know, you still feel like the guy that started it in his basement a little bit. No imposter syndrome because again I deal with lots of C suites, lots of C suites of multi billion dollar companies, and some of them I would class as friends now. Um, but it's interesting because you see, I remember meeting the CEO of Barrett Developments, for example, and you're like, "Whoa, it's the CEO," yeah. and you've got this. It's like, and then it, I'm not saying that I don't ever feel like that, but then sometimes when I meet team members I've never met before, yeah. you can almost sense that, like, yes, that. In, yeah. Not intimidation, but like I'm trying to break that down because I'm just Ross. Yeah. And I get it's kind of a respect thing as well, mm-hmm. but you don't want people to be you're just cognizant of like you can see that. I remember talking to one of our team members in Vancouver, uh, maybe last year, and I feel like I felt like he was petrified. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and the nicer and calmer I was, the more scared he looked. And just, I was like, I'm going to leave you now. Yeah, yeah. There, there becomes this, like, by the time, yeah, I totally understand that. Because as a kid, I used to feel that way, too. You know, my bosses right. would come around. But it's like, now I've met, you know, I mean, I've worked under enough CEOs that I realize we're all people, right? <laughs> we're all just yeah. people. Yeah, that's it. But it, take, yeah. it, takes, it takes a while, I think. And I think if you haven't had that exposure multiple times, right. it, I, I can totally understand that. Yeah. And it's just interesting to... to see that happen in your in, in your own organization yeah 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 no and it uh, and sorry go ahead no no go oh, ahead I, and i was gonna say like you're quite young too so i think i think there's a bit of an approachability there that maybe you don't get if you were older like i think maybe you might do a little better because you're a little younger yeah you know I, yeah hopefully i mean it's a that's part like 
when you talk about the LinkedIn strategy piece, there was, the, as I mentioned, it wasn't really a strategy. Yeah. It just started five years ago and I just started sharing things I was doing. Yeah. And then it's really been the last, and, but it's you're the power of it, man. I like, the we announced, we made an announcement last week and I've had six new customers see the announcement and want to be involved in this eco claim program. Yes. And even, you know, I, I have, customers reaching out to me to you know mention Ross is it okay if I tag you in LinkedIn I just want to share something da, 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 da. but like people I meet and networks are now starting to do the LinkedIn thing but a lot of it's because they've seen mine now I love it I don't think it's copying whatsoever I think more people should share your story share your journey that's what it's about yeah and I think I think in 2023 it's becoming expected right like we it's not enough to just be an organization in 2023 and be behind the scenes people want to know the leaders of an organization they want to see the executive group they want to and I think that you've done an amazing job of that and I know I'm not just blowing smoke up your butt the reality is I've you know I've been following you myself for like at least a year at this point and yeah like yeah. I love I love your posts your posts are always engaging like it's a great mix of business and who is Ross right and I, and I love yeah. that aspect of it and I think you do a great job and I think as we go forward you know in 2024 2025 organizations are going to have to shift a little bit. There's going to, you know, this is a conversation I've had with many of my executive guests talking about the importance of socials, the importance of some type of forward face. Like when I started this podcast, I didn't really know what was going to come of it. The reality is it's become a great podcast around the world. And, you know, we're actually the only business development focused podcast in Canada at this time, which is still blows yeah. my mind. I had no idea right. when I started it that that was the case. And yeah, you could say, well, poor market research or whatever. But like I, I was doing this for me initially just to try it and see if I could do it because introverted Kelly needed to figure out how to <laughs> have some type of outward face. How can I share my knowledge with the world? How can I help other companies grow, but also showcase my expertise? This was the way. And, uh, yeah, but I had to learn it. And, you know, I mean, in, in the beginning, you know, it always felt like I was just talking to the wall for the longest time, but it has become my platform. But I think that you have done a great job on LinkedIn and, and showing people who Ross is. And I think if you were to keep that up, you know, you could, you could branch that off into a podcast of your own or into YouTube of your own. I think you're really that type of person. Yeah, you know, it's one of those, like my, I would argue, I've never really used social media that much, like on the, uh, on the, like on the Instagram, Facebook, sure I'm on it, but it's never yeah. been like a, a thing. And so the LinkedIn was a little bit different for me because it felt more attached to the business. Yes. Um, and, but it really, honestly, like, there's no, I, and I told you this when we chatted before the, the show that I, I've still got all the podcast equipment in boxes in my office from February because yeah. I fully planned on getting it set totally. up. But just with how the last two quarters have, have gone and the, how busy we've been with lots of corporate initiatives, new businesses, yeah. and um, I just haven't had time. Yeah. But now what I'm trying to do is sort of pull myself a little bit out more out operationally so I can work on the bigger picture vision but then also fit things in such as a podcast. So whilst it might seem, and this is, I think this is where the, the clash comes a bit. If you're an older executive, you don't necessarily, uh, doing a podcast seems like a weird thing to do, but, but you've just said it yourself. Whilst you want interesting guests on, you want an audience, it becomes your platform to, to share what you know right. and what type of person yep. you are. Right. People, like, I think after our first call, I was like, oh, how do we work together? Because you just know when you get along with someone. Yes. yes. Like, and, and it really is like you get to see who 
they are, right? Like, I feel like I, you know, from our conversations and from this podcast, I feel like I have a really good idea of who Ross Hewitt is. And, yeah, and I'm right. sure you feel the same way about who Kelly Kennedy is. And, and that's, that's the same connection you get with every one of your listeners. And you get yes. it because it's such a personal form, right? Like voice is such a personal form of interaction. I like, yes. you know, I feel like my favorite podcast and I have plenty of them that I love. I feel connected to those people. Like if something happened to them, I would genuinely feel bad about it. Cause I gen like, yeah. I love their shows. I look forward to it every week. And it's, it's, I don't know them. I have no personal connection to them, but that's the level of connection you build with any type of, yeah. of interaction like this. What I love about podcasts, though, honestly, when you really look at it, is um, it became radio for everyone, yes. right? It's brilliant. So radio is, it was an archaic form and who who listens to radio and TV exists. Yeah. But literally, we've, become, we've come full circle. Yes. People want to listen to other people. Well, and I think for executives, too, the reason a podcast is so compelling is that, you know, we're on the road all the time. We're traveling. We're doing, you know, whether we're doing reports or tedious work. And it's something that we can listen to. And so the reason that I often, you know, people ask me, Kelly, why don't you have a video? Like, why don't you have a video on this? Well, because my listeners are high level executives or entrepreneurs, and they're probably listening to me on a car ride to work or on a plane or, you know, yeah. entering data on their computer. They're not, they're not looking at me. They're listening to me. Yes. That's a good observation. You're right. Cause I was thinking back and I'm like, even when the podcast has a video, you, I don't watch yes, it. Yes, right. You just play, you right? might you might have your favorite YouTube show that you like to watch, but I imagine it's Maybe. probably not a podcast. Right, right. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like if you listen to Joe Rogan, for example, they always have the videos of the guests. Yeah. But again, it's just you put it on and you're doing other stuff while you listen to it, like you said. Totally, right? totally. You know, a lot of the feedback we get from the show is people reach out and they're like, "Oh, I love listening to you when we're on a car ride, or when we're going to bed, or when I'm doing housework." Right. But the secret yeah. is. Uh, they love listening to me when they're doing something else. And an yeah. audio yeah. podcast allows people to do that while a video does not. But I think like you said, it's the, again, you could not that, not that I'm remotely putting anyone myself in this bracket, of course, but compare it on a, on a micro scale to celebrity. People think they know them because they see mm -hmm. them so much. And that's why, and, and I'm not saying that that happens, but believe it or not, it's, it's amazing. Even LinkedIn, right? Again, I'm not a celebrity by any means. Do, does my LinkedIn get around a million interactions a year so far? Yes, which is phenomenal. Yeah. But what I'm seeing at the minute is it precedes me often now. Yeah. Which it never did before. And I'm just talking <laughs> in the last few yeah. months. But the amount of people have been like, oh, Ross, I've seen you. Da, 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 da. And, it's, and that's the value for yes. me. Because I'm telling a story and people I've never met are already briefed to a degree on the story. That's right. That's right. There's interest before they've even met you. It's right. almost, and so, it's, it's like a, it's like a warm up. Yes, no, absolutely. It is. Yeah. A little warm up. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. So there's they're more familiar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that adds, and in business trust is the first thing you need to build. And if you lay the foundation for familiarity, you lay the foundation for trust. Now it's not deceitful because it's just like, when I say my LinkedIn strategy, honestly, I get up in the morning and I'm an early riser and I'll have my coffee and often I'll just, I might have saved something to share or I might not have anything to share and I'll, and I'll just think of something that's on my mind that specific day. There's no content calendar. Yeah. There's no scheduled releases, if you will. Yeah. It's all just what, how am I feeling on the day and 
some days I'm more optimistic and happy than others, as all all humans yeah, are. Yeah. Um, and some days, like today, I just didn't because I'd I'd shared quite a bit this week and it got a lot of traction. And honestly, I was like, again, the ADHD piece. Sometimes my brain just doesn't let me do things. Like, answer someone will send me an email and I should I should respond to that, but it's like the brain just doesn't let yeah, you. Yeah. And so today was one of those on my LinkedIn posts. Yeah, so. no, that happens to all of us. <laughs> I totally get that. Yeah, there's just some days that are for responding and some that are just for that's for tomorrow. <laughs> so, okay. So, you know, you were talking about, so have you been with MBC Group since they were in the basement? So I go back. So MBC, so how MBC Group formed. So I started Pace in my basement and uh, my... He's still actually shareholder of MBC, but uh, Sanders was the first person to then join me. And so we essentially were, were providing building consulting services, project advisory services to insurers yeah. um, in, in competition with the, the company I'd mentioned. Yeah. Now, we, we, we started doing well. We got started to get business. Clients started to give us work. And I'd known of a, there was a gentleman out east who a big insurer do you remember in i can't oh god it would have been 2015 there was a big explosion in canmore i i, I don't remember that when i when i think of like around that time what i'm thinking of is that gigantic flood in calgary yeah so it was just after those okay. um and it was uh there was a gas line exploded and damaged lots of houses wow. and it was a, a a big event. And I remember that a large insurer had flown this person, this gentleman, uh, Mark Beret, out from from Quebec all the way to, to the Rockies to, to basically do what we could yeah. do. And I was like, why would they do that? That seems like a weird thing to spend. But again, so I then reached out because why not? I was curious who he was, da da da. Sure. And um and so when we just, when we met a couple of weeks after that, so I actually called a client who knew him to get his number again, proactivity. It didn't just happen. Yeah. Um, and I went to meet him. Um, I remember, I actually still remember this day by the airport and I got there. And so he'd obviously done his research on me and I, and so he was on a big insurers list. Bearing in mind, he only had six, six on, I can't remember, maybe nine people yeah. in, in the East. So it wasn't a big company by any means at that point. And I essentially said, well, why don't we join forces, come together? Because, you know, you've got a big national contract with a big insurer. And I've got a very good relationships with with adjusters across Alberta and BC. Um, and we're picking up work. And so really that was the that was the long and short of it was should we do this? And we decided to um, and then got off the ground. And so the first, <laughs> what I love about this bit though, is like, so I started in November, like I'd started the business a bit before, I think was it, yeah, around November we'd started. And, and so of course, weirdly, in the first half of 2016, the insurance industry was dead. As in, there was, there was just very few claims. Yeah. yeah. It's, again, it's, it's cyclical, of course. I was going we were in the middle of a pretty big oil downturn at that point too. Yeah, but usually it doesn't matter because just because the oil's downturn doesn't mean a condo doesn't sure, flood, right? Sure. So, so yeah, there is there is obviously a correlation between economic growth and activity and claims, yeah. but it tends to be uh, recession resistant, if you gotcha. will. 
But anyway, whatever was going on, we had adjusted clients being like, we don't know what's happening here. And so I'm like, for the first six months, I'm like, what the, have I done here? Yeah. Like, right? I'm like, is it me? Is this not going to work? <laughs> and, and, but again, I missed the perseverance, right? And so I just kept pounding the pavement, doing what I did. Got a nice little lawsuit from my previous company, which incidentally, which incidentally just, just ended like a week oh, ago. Wow. Wow. And, and, and they were wrong, but the only people that win are the lawyers. lawyers. And yeah. it really, I look back now and I don't hold any grudges. It was corporate warfare. Yeah. Could he have made better choices and kept me? Yes. But I'm glad he didn't because this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you, that's the way I always look yeah. at it. Um, and so, yeah, six months of hard work, some work, but like this is not going how I anticipated. Sure. And then all of a sudden, Fort McMurray catches yep. fire. Yep. And I'm looking at this and, you know, again, it's tragic, but when you're in the business of responding to that and helping yeah. it. And so all that groundwork I'd put in with people started to come to fruition because they were like, they'd remembered yeah. me. And all of a sudden this big influx of work came in. And so in that, from that, I think it was May it happened. Yeah. And so from like May to July, I went from me to 10 people. Wow. And, um, out West anyway. Yeah. And, we responded to Fort Mac with, this is where we kind of, I say burst onto the scene because unlike our competitors who would, so it got them, got a bigger majority of the work admittedly, but they were the incumbent, yep. but we were the new kids on the block. And, and there was really only one company that sort of had a monopoly ish. It, it sounds very and specialized. So it is. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's under the radar. You know, everyone, everyone knows about the banking sector because you have Wolf of Wall Street and you have yeah. all these sexy movies about banking. Yeah. Tell me a sexy movie about insurance. Yeah, fair. Right. Yeah. But I can tell you now that it is very much just as sexy as banking yeah. is when you get down to it. <laughs> um, and so Fort Max, so we actually got some really large ones like the airport claim, for example. So our team was responsible for facilitating getting the air pack, airport up and operational as soon as possible, being critical infrastructure. Yeah. And we actually got in there first because of that. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a, it was an excellent experience. I was boots on the ground with the team, and you know, I was it was sort of the first, and I still remember to this day. So we were we had work coming in, we had team members up there. I was sat in a, a Fort McMurray condo in the middle of town, still email. I had, I had a little insurance adjusters book. Yeah, they don't issue them anymore, probably because people like me pestered everyone. <laughs> um, but I literally would get up in the morning and sit with my book, and I would email everyone in that personally. Yeah. And it, so again, I'm not saying there was strategy. It was just sales can be a numbers yes. game. Yeah. And you got to reach out to 10 to get one. Yeah. And, and if you so, you know, you hit on something that I talk about on the show all the time, because we live in a time where people want to sit back and they just want the phone to ring. But what they don't recognize is, is that we still require active marketing. You got to be proactive, not reactive. And if you're sitting around Correct. waiting for someone to call you because you put out an ad, you know, the problem is you got to get them on their worst day. They got to be actively looking for you. If you do what Ross is doing, he's getting ahead of them. He's introducing himself before there's a problem so that when the problem happens, they already know who to call. It's Ross's brochure that's on the desk, right? Is that yeah, and you do both. It? You do it before, and then when it happens, you remind them you're there. Yeah. Like it's, but you don't wait, right? And we live in a time where no. so many people want to sit and wait for their phone to ring, but it's just the wrong approach. It is, and, and you know, like I go back to the amount of times sales opportunities have arisen through non-traditional sales opportunity avenues, 
you know, I'm a big believer in pass it forward. And so I will always try and help people if I can, like from, from, I'll give you an example. I had a guy come around to, to knock on my door and he was like, oh, you know, I'm here. Would you like your windows cleaned or booking? And funnily enough, I was like, the wife had just been saying she wanted that done because we'd lived here two years. It hadn't been done. And I was like, oh, I was like, lucky day. Yes, I'll take it. And he was like, just giving his, giving his sales pitch. I was like, stop, stop, stop. I said, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. And, um, and then I was, and he got talking and uh, I asked about the business, of course. And he said, oh yeah, I started it like six months ago, this, that, and the other. I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was yours. I was, I said, you should have started with that because I still wanted yeah. it. But you, and, um, and then, like I said, well, I was I, I, happy to help and you ran us through what he was doing. And I was happy to make some introductions to some bigger, bigger companies that might utilize them. And again, there's no benefit. There's no like immediate benefit to me, nor should, should you expect yeah. one. But again, I've become a bit of a hippie thanks to my wife a little bit in terms of call it karma, call it whatever you want, but I feel like you get what you put out. Sure, I agree. And if you're willing to help, uh, I don't know. You never know. Five years down the line, he might turn around, come back and be like, oh, by the way, I remember you. Right. You know, I, you just never you know. Don't. And so that's how I always try to act. I and, guess. you know, like being in oil and gas, like I've, I've been in industrial oil and gas for a lot of years oh. and it's small, you know, like you, it looks like this gigantic industry, but really you end up dealing with the same people over and over and over again. You know, like industry is a lot smaller when you take it down to the individual connections. And yeah, hundred percent, you, you know, you want to leave, you want to leave good vibes wherever you go because they do come back around. The biggest thing, honestly, the biggest what I've found interesting, and it's it's I guess the weirdest, the hardest bit, is and and I'm again celebrities have it much worse. But you have found like there's an element I don't know if it's jealousy, but I seem to have like there's a I seem to have created enemies in certain areas, and I and I don't truly believe warranted. Like I don't have any animosity towards mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. But I feel as though there's been some disproportionate, like, I don't know if it's because of the public, the public facing side of what I'm pushing. And, you know, I'm always sharing positivity, but it's definitely gone out of, like, you can't, people are odd like that. And so, I mean, because I'm the type of person, and again, back to an ADHD thing, the, the, the desire, the desire to be liked, like I can live with not being yeah. liked, but, I, but my brain needs to know why. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like if you don't, I'm okay if you don't like me, but what is it you don't like? And a lot of the, and a lot of the times it's, I find myself in this feels like a bit of Narnia sometimes. Yeah, no, I, you know what, that happens to everybody though, Ross. Like the reality is it's like, you're a, you're a CEO. <laughs> yeah, People are going to hate you just because you're a CEO. They don't have to. Like, you know, unfortunately we live in a time where people's, instead of pointing at themselves, which is where the finger needs to be pointing, you know, like the reality is if you're unhappy with where you're at in your life, yeah, maybe some external circumstances got you there, but you can make choices that get you out. Only you, you know, if you're waiting for other people to make those choices for you, you're going to be waiting a long time. You know, like you have to, you have to look at yourself if you want change in your life. And you know, the fact that Mm -hmm. Ross is a CEO and, and he, he has, he has pointed the finger at himself, took responsibility and and did that for himself. Right. And you can do that too. Um, But unfortunately, Ross, there's a lot of people that, 
you know, they don't know that or they don't see that or it's easier to blame yeah. other people than it is to make that change in their life. Right. And you can't control. For sure. I mean, control. One, one of my uh, YPO colleagues, friends, connections, you know, I remember said to me, uh, uh, it was called the, Ma it's a, I think it's a, I don't know, poem or sonic called the man in the arena. And um, if you ever look it up, but essentially the, the, the story behind it is very much that it's easy to, to criticize and throw stones at the man in the arena, the one doing the fight. But if you're not in the arena, you don't get to say that really. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah, totally. It, it just comes down to accountability, right? Of course, <laughs> the, the reality absolutely. is that there's a lot of people that it's, you know, for whatever reason in their life, they didn't learn accountability. And so it's yeah, easier no, to blame other people when things aren't going right in their life than it is to look at the choices sure. they've made to get there. Right. And For I've made sure. a lot of shit choices. I will be the first. Yeah, me. Hell yeah, <laughs> I will be the first to say I've made a lot of poor choices. But at one point in my life, I realized that I need to be accountable to myself, and I turned it around. And you know, you yeah. can too if that's you. Agreed. And like I said to you before, this this is the beauty. This is the one thing I. That's why I try to be a bit and a little bit vulnerable. Call it on LinkedIn because I'm very cognizant of like on Instagram. Everyone's always just showing the best bits of life and like. Whether you know that or not, it's just a false bar. Yeah. And so that's why I do like to share, like, whether it be struggles, whether it be, you know, just like, because life is not perfect with roses all the time. And now, sure, you're going to go on LinkedIn and moan about your bad day. No, but like, I don't want people, you want people to understand the humanity side of it yeah. all. That like, just you, my job is to be positive and glass half full. Yes. But just like every human, some days you're like, you just don't have the energy for yes. that. So I like to share that, though, because I want people to know that I'm not always like yes, that. Yes, yes. No, totally, totally. Like, the reality is, you know, if all you're looking at is LinkedIn and seeing the beautiful, what I forget, I think I had a guest called Tash Jeffries, and she's she's a rock star, with like emotional intelligence. And I think she called it ha beautiful, happy people syndrome or something like that is the yes, LinkedIn yes. post, right? But it's, yeah, it's so fake, right? And the reality is, is like, that's not people's lives, but that's, that's what you see. And so you start to believe that that's their life. But the reality is we're right. all, we all have struggles. We all have bad days. We all have days we don't want to get out of bed and we all have rock star days. Right. And it's just, yeah. you have to understand it's not what you're seeing online is not the full picture. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, it's like my, like I always get comments on, you know, traveling seems glamorous if you don't do it. <laughs> But it's really it's not. Topic, like it becomes yeah. like a, it becomes robotic. It becomes like going through the airport is systematic. Yeah. It's just it becomes part of your like. And to be honest, in a weird in a weird way, the four hour flight to the Toronto has become like a little like I use it as like a little haven. Yeah. Right, no one can call me. I've got four hours to myself, yeah. uninterrupted. Yeah. Like it's, it's like you don't get that anywhere yeah. else. So I don't know if that's sad or a tip, but no, a great time to catch up on your favorite podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. That's it. I'll be listening to this podcast moving yeah, forward right. now, right? Yeah, no, we, um, you know, with one of my clients I work with, one of the executives there did 90,000 hours last year of flights. Or, sorry, not 90,000 oh, hours, 90,000 kilometers. And I was like, oh yeah, my well, gosh, like. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, because I, I'm, because I'm tr trying to be Mr. Sustainable. But I was over a hundred thousand last wow. year. Wow. Yeah. That, like, it sounds glamorous, but that's bloody exhausting. <laughs> that's a lot. That's too, yeah. that's like, that's like on average two flights a week. Yeah. Yeah. That's now I don't, I'll admit that my travel hasn't been as much this summer because I've done a lot of Alberta focus. Yeah. 
and with EcoClaim, a lot of a lot of it's been virtual because of the the London connections and US. <clears throat> but I've quite enjoyed that really. But it, it's allowed me to actually give more attention to Alberta, if you yeah. will, because you sometimes forget your your home turf a little bit with all the travel. Totally. So okay, so I want to I want to stick on. I want to get into EcoClaim. Yes, let's, get, let's back. get back to MBC Group quickly. So yes. you know you've had amazing growth, seven locations in seven years right? Like, that's crazy. Like, what has it been like to be part of a company growing that, but not just be part of it, to be head of a company growing at that rate? What has that been like for you? A whirlwind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you don't. um, The beauty of it for the first five years, is I didn't have time to take stock and be aware of it. It was just happening. And that's the only way I could, I say just, I mean, there's a lot of work goes into that. So just happening is the wrong word in terms of the effort. But what I mean is you weren't really thinking, oh, this is a lot, this is happening. You're just so focused on achieving whatever target or goal it is that you've had to do at that specific time. Yeah. And so we essentially grew organically to around 50, 50 consultants in the, in our sort of QS yeah. group. And, you know, at the start of the journey, I think I was driven by, I mean, again, I was a driven person to begin with, but then when you get that, when you get slapped with a lawsuit that is disingenuous, it sort of lit another fire. Yeah. And, and I used that as energy and sort of went after, well, just went after their customers really. And um, it worked. We just made sure, I just made sure I provided brilliant service yes. and client care. It sounds so simple, but the one thing service firms don't do very well often is service. Yeah. What a concept, right? Yeah. It's true. You know this, you're in business development. Yes. yes. Well, the relationship gets neglected is what it is. Correct. The reason- That's what I mean. Client yes. service. Yes. And the main reason behind that is, is that most organizations are having their account managers do other jobs. Like they're doing multiple jobs within the organization right up to operations. And so when you take, when you have too many people wearing too many hats, something's got to give and you don't want that something to be your account management. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry. The, I interrupted you. Oh no, not at all. We've um, so yeah, we grew organically and then I looked and you know, <laughs> the, well, there's actually a funny story behind this one as well. How I'm not saying it's why it started, but it sort of gave me the push to go ahead. So we'd, we'd grown to around 50 people and uh, we had interest from a, a US firm that wanted to enter Canada. And, you know, I distinctly remember meeting with them and, you know, Americans have a different style of business. I'll, I'll, you know, being British, you can see it. They're not, and again, they're a bit more brash than Canadians as a, as a, um, as a population, if you will. And so anyway, I met with the, these and, you know, they essentially, I liked what they said. I understand that their business model was selling more services that customers needed. So more services to the same customers, and but they were pretty brash. They essentially said if I didn't sell to them, they would buy the, a competitor and run me out of business. And so again, the 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 fierce, the competitive and protective side of me sort of came out. And I'd already thought about expanding. <coughs> um, but I came out that meeting being like, okay, well, we I've got about a year before they buy the competitor, yeah. which turned out to be almost one hundred percent on. Um, and I left that meeting and decided, identified several firms, um, people I'd worked with, a sort of older gentlemen that didn't have exits, 
um, beginning with uh, DF Technical, an environmental firm in Alberta. And I essentially decided I was going to introduce engineering and environmental services to our insurance clients because those are used regularly. And I had worked on enough losses where we were managing those professionals. And I thought to myself, well, I'm managing them. So why not bring them under our banner and provide a try and provide a better service with more accountability? And so that's really, it sounds, <laughs> what's funny is it sounds in it, it doesn't sound innovative, but it was at the time in insurance. Yeah. Like there was firms somewhat doing it, but I was the, I think I was one of the first in Canada to bring that together. And so I went out my way and over from 2018 till 2022, we acquired five different companies um, across Canada. So we had, so we ended up offices in Vancouver, uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Regina, uh, Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa. And then we have satellites in the Atlantic region. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That. Yeah, like, you know, it's so funny, because, you know, when I asked you, what is it like to be part of that? And you say, you know, a whirlwind. I, I remember having a conversation with another guest and same thing that, you know, he, he was running a billion dollar mortgage firm, and it, it became a billion dollar mortgage firm in just a number of years, like five years type thing. Yeah. And I remember asking him like, like, what was that like? How do you even keep up? He's like, just one step at a time. <laughs> you just like, you're, it's, it, it feels like unbelievable when you're in it. I imagine this, this is about the same. But yeah, you know, there's no, um, yes, it's like false peaks. Like I said, you know, there's no, and I think that's actually inherent. I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and, and what have you, and I think it's a, it's a good and a bad thing. So it provides the drive, but being, and maybe take it with a pinch of salt, the word, but there's lack of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like you've got this, like it's, it's happening so quickly. You don't even have the ability to appreciate it. No, no, no. It's more like what keeps you, what keeps Elon Musk going? Why would Elon Musk create a, try and go to Mars, try and create a company that goes underground to solve traffic problems, create the the world's largest electric vehicle company. Like the list goes on. He doesn't need to do any of those. He's, he's the richest man in yeah. the world, but it's got nothing to do with monetary drive. It's like there's just something that does it. Like you have to, you, there's something you have to do. You, there needs to be more. You it, need to build something more. Intrinsic. And there's no rationale behind yeah, it. It's intrinsic. And that's what drives me is that that's why we've launched EcoClaim because we're building some, it's an offshoot of NBC. Yeah. And and it's, I'm, I'm invigorated by the building component of it. And so that's really what becomes the drive. But it's also a bit of a sickness. Yeah. Because like you said, I'm only 35 and we've built a company in seven years of this size and like, but whoop-de-doo. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's next? <laughs> right? That's what I mean. That's the, but that's the sickness. Like I am to- I, I am so appreciative. I have, I have the same experience. sickness. I feel, I totally get yeah. it. I totally get it. Yeah. 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 And, and I think once you've built one and you've built one successfully, you look at it as like, well, I could do this again or I could do something different. And you're right. It does become about just something that you feel like you need to do. And I think too, once you've hit, like, you know, you talked about Elon Musk, once you have a certain level of success, it doesn't make sense to quit. Like just internally, you're, you're not like quitting. Like, even if, even if you just stopped and you're like, yeah, I've made $250 billion or whatever. Right. But then it's like, well, what am I going to do with my time? Bingo. Purpose. You need purpose. Yeah. And that's what really it boils down to, I think. So whilst I say unsatisfied, it's getting up in the morning and having a purpose totally. and whether, that, and, and if that purpose can 
make the world a better place, even in a, in a microcosm of 150 people. But that to me is worthwhile. And so, you know, that's, that's why we do what we do. And so we, so yeah, we grew, I mean, again, that's the shorter version, but essentially integrated those companies. Um, no, there was no external investment. This was done through um, having an excellent executive team to help me navigate it. Again, bringing in experienced people in our chairman and COO, gentlemen that have, 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 have been in the executive hot seat longer than I've been alive. Mm -hmm. So whilst I've got the, uh, for lack of a better term, the piss and vinegar and drive that you need, um, I was five years ago, I was very rough around the edges, shall we say. And I'd say thanks to ensuring good mentorship, I think those edges of slowly and maybe they not quite agree with this when they listen to it, but I like to think some of those, some of those edges um, have been worn down a little bit now yes, yes. i've had some, polished I, i've had some great mentors in my life too and i totally i totally get that right it's like you need someone to level you out a little bit <laughs> yeah you do absolutely and i've been so appreciative and again i look back when when so our chairman was my I, original business partner's brother i i acquired the shares of my business partner a few years ago so but our chairman stayed on now he'd been an executive with with some very large companies and had been around the block and um, really, I think, saw something in me and wanted to help support me do this. And so I, I owe him a lot, a lot of credit for that. But I look back at some of the first board meetings we had versus the board meetings that ha we have now. And I asked myself, how the hell did he sit through those meetings? Like with like, cause I don't think even now in my capacity, yeah. I could have sat and had a productive board meeting with the me of seven years ago, never mind my business partner. Yeah. And so I, it's interesting. I've So when you appreciate someone who has always been at this level when it started, yeah. bringing you with them yeah. or like bringing, helping you get to sort of the same understanding as them. And it's that mentorship, the patience required of it. Yes, yes. And, and, right? and you, you know what though, but you're conscious of it. Now we look hindsight, yeah. right? Well, I know, but like the reality is the job has been done because you were aware. You're very aware of who you were then versus who you are now, what those changes are and what right. the effective efficiency increases have been, right? So, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'd say I'd say he did his job well. <laughs> no, absolutely he's still with us. So it's um and, and, it's uh, and you're open, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of you know founders and presidents and stuff who are very closed-minded, right? I know the right way of doing this. I've recognized very early on. I know nothing. I, you know, I look at it as I was an expert until yesterday, right? I'm an expert in business yes, development until yesterday. The reality is if yeah. I stop learning today, I'm going to be screwed tomorrow. So yeah. I always go into everything thinking like, yeah, I have a good idea, but there's always more to learn. And that doesn't matter whether that's in like client facing stuff or whether that's running my own organization or whether that's just me as a parent. Like yes. <laughs> I recognize <laughs> that I know a lot, but I, you know, I have to always keep learning or I'm going to end up behind. Correct. And it, that's what I, it's always questions and asking. I do lots of that because I generally want to understand. Like, again, what I'm very thankful of through the YPO, through MBC's customers and, and the Business Council of Alberta, I get, I say access, but I do access and exposure to these individuals that have achieved far more than I have, even at similar ages. And so, again, not that you're ju judging per se, but learning from them and and hearing what they've done and like that's that's 
because it goes back to what you said, all the challenges. So I, I, I don't think I can say the name, but anyway, one of the, it's either an institutional house builder in Alberta. Sure. Um, and I met with one of the, the, the current president who I guess is, it goes back generations. Yeah. And then he was telling us the story of <laughs> what happened in the seventies and eighties with the recession and what have yeah. you and bank load and, and debt loads and, and the stories he was telling, I was like, it was like just repeating what I was going through. And I'm thinking to myself, so it didn't matter, you know, 50 years ago, businesses had the same challenges and people had to come overcome the same adversity in business to be successful. So whilst the playing fields changed, generally the rules haven't. Yeah. yeah. And so that again, but it, but it, but it gives you a little bit of, I'm not going to, I'm not sure if hope's the right word, but you know, when you've got business problems and sometimes things can seem overwhelming or insurmountable. And then when you hear people haven't gone through those challenges for longer periods of time, because you just see them now as the successful person they yeah. are, you don't, um, you don't see the trials and tribulations they had to go through. So when you hear it, it just gives you that extra humanity side. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, I, totally. And, and I think, I think you, you're absolutely right. I think that a lot of the problems we're facing are problems that most business owners have faced throughout time. <laughs> <laughs> right like for the most part yeah while the service offerings have changed while the people you know are, are a little different the reality is is we're all overcoming the same problems to keep operations moving forward but the difference is a lot of businesses and it depends again if you meet someone and you how's business oh yeah it's good it's good standard answer and it's like you know when you have a connection or you have a level of trust people will tell you what's really going yes. on and because they're not, because like whenever and tells me business is good, I mean, you're lying because there's always like business is literally solving problems as an executive. Your job is not to blame. It's situations arise. And your first question is, what are we doing to solve yeah. this? Yeah. And the best people are the ones that learn to solve those. Yes. yes. No, absolutely. Right? Well, it just goes right back to the accountability thing, right? <laughs> Which takes us, I mean, the solving piece is really where, I've always been one to my chairman says I like to I like to build mouse traps and sell them. So it just depends what type of mice you're trying to catch, but I'll build yeah. one. Yeah. And um, and so in two thousand again, go, I go back to the chain link connection thing here. So I got I submitted to speak at the 2020 AGM for the the CIQS, yeah. the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. And so I wanted to do a unique topic. And so I didn't really know, I knew about sustainability. It was, you know, university, I understood all the terminology, but didn't really understand it in, in, in practice. Sure. And so I decided to do a uh, propose a, a seminar on sustainability within insurance, because insurance restoration in Canada is, you know, is a $15 billion market and just restoration work yeah. and ensure the insurance insurance companies have a play a huge part in our lives. It's one of the only industries like everything. If you look around everything in your room there in your home office is insured. Yeah. So insurance literally touches everything, everything and people forget <laughs> yeah, this. It's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the, so I, I decided to give it on that because it was a bit unique, different perspective. But of course, me being me, I didn't want to waste an opportunity to, you know, can make a connection with a client. Sure. 
<laughs> and so one of our biggest customers at the time, Aviva, had uh, publicly announced both out of London that they had ambitions to be net zero by 2050. But as with all the ambitions that get announced by executives, that executive is not going to be there in 2050 when it has to come to pass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, but don't get me wrong. It's meaningful change. And good for them for, for being the instigators because the top of the food chain have to care about sustainability and climate change and, and reducing our carbon footprint because if they don't, yeah, none of the below will. Yeah. And so they'd announced this net zero by 2050. And so I saw that and I said, well, I'm giving a, a seminar on this exact topic to a group of construction professionals. So there's, 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 there's a reason for, for Aviva to be interested in presenting. So me being me again, little old Ross reached out to the CEO of Aviva. Um, I knew he was British, so I leveraged that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And to his credit, he got back to me. But again, often people, people just won't make that jump because, and I'm sure they get lots of useless stuff. So you've got to try and be a little bit unique with, and short with your approach. Make it valuable, yeah. right? The amount of LinkedIn reach outs I get that are like, well, I said that to you when you reached out because my usual is they say, oh, can we speak with you? And then it's, by the way, it's $2,000 to come on. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't need to do yeah, that. I don't, I don't understand that side of it, to be honest. You know, the reality no. is it's like, you know, I'm happy that you have come on my show. Why in the world would I charge you for it? I don't. Well, that's, yeah, no, agreed. And I'm happy to come on because it's a good forum for, you know, to speak and, and tell stories. Absolutely, and right? And, you know, the reality is there's benefit to both of us from this show. Like, I don't Correct. see why there has to be a charge for it, too. No, no, yeah. agreed. And the, um, so I invited them on. Now, he couldn't make it. So he actually sent his, uh, his um, senior vice president along, who, again, happened to be another Brit. Yeah. And um, so we got, we got connected, started chatting. He presented for five minutes during that on what they were doing. And um, I didn't think anything of it. And so a few months passed. And then all of a sudden, I got an invite from, from uh, procurement to uh, be involved in Essentially, they were looking to benchmark their their supply chains, carbon emissions, because that was step yeah. one. And we were the only service firm invited to that, but that was because of me having invited Paul, the the, the SVP at the time, on to this call. So if I hadn't done that, again, the sequence and hindsight there piece, there wouldn't have been the connection, right? And so we're going, and I'm on this call. And most of it's contractors, right? And a lot of restora restoration is quite fragmented. So there's some large companies, but then there's a lot of smaller ones. And again, it's no secret that the sophistication level with construction, there's definitely a curve. The bigger you are, the more sophisticated you have to be as with any business. Yeah. And so a lot of these contractors, and some of them have said this to me, so it's not me being derogatory by any means, but they'd said that they could barely spell ESG. Right. Never mind provide data to insurance company on what it sure, is. Sure. And so I'm on this call and and I'm just my light bulb was just going off. Because quantity surveyor is one of the things we can do, and there's international measurement standards for it, is quantify carbon. Okay. In construction. Yeah. So the embodied carbon of a project, the carbon release of a project, the carbon footprint. So there's, there's international status. So we do that as a service. <laughs> and so 
I'm on this call and I said to myself, well, we've, we've done sustainability consulting on a government project, very expensive, much larger, but the government were very, so good. And I looked at it and I said, well, we attend, we appraise your, we appraise your claim. So we go and we say, this is damaged. Here's the market value. We're quantifying the damage and the cost. So I emailed the executive saying, well, we've done this before and, and, I've got a system here. We could just essentially quantify the carbon footprint of your claims, your scope. That's your their scope three, if you understand greenhouse gas um, emissions and 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 how that's tracked. And they loved it. And so I said, well, you know, we as a service, we, we'll do our regular work, but we'll also do this. Yeah. And so that's the short one. And then the BC floods happened. You may remember, and I think it was. December 2021, the Vancouver had the one in 500 year flood. Yeah. Um, not every one in 500 years now, as you see on the news regularly, yeah. but that's what they call sure. it. And we got a call from the executive and they were like, well, there's no better time to do it than now. Because we, their exact words were, and I'll always remember, I think it's very brave for an executive at a billion dollar company to, to do this. But he, he, he said that, there's a tendency in big corporations. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. And everyone's afraid to do any action because of potential consequences. Yeah. And he's like, if we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. And so he pulled the trigger. And so before you knew it, EcoClaim was born. Yeah. And um, we did a pilot. And it was hugely successful, even with all the challenges. Like the recycling facility in Vancouver shut down. So how are we going to mitigate waste when there's no way to send it. Mm -hmm. So we, anyway, we worked out, that all worked out. And we, I think we had like a 69% of the waste on a hundred claims avoided landfill. Now the average recycling of a construction project or renovation demolition in Canada is 16%. I believe it. Yeah. But that's atrocious yeah. because it's just laziness. Yeah. yeah. And so, but what I learned through that process was Whilst it was successful, insurance companies didn't really want another thing, another expense on a claim. They already pay for engineers. They already pay for forensic accountants. They already pay for adjusters. They didn't, they didn't want to have to pay for a, another sustainability service, irrespective of, especially because it wasn't regulated yet. Yeah. It's about to be, thankfully, but not then it yeah. wasn't. Yeah. And, they, um, and so I sat back. And so whilst it, the pilot was a success, it, it just didn't stick as well as I was hoping it mm -hmm. would. And so I sat back and I said to myself, well, how, what do, how do we bring this to market and solve these problems? How do we solve the, the problem for the insurers of the so what? Like, why should they care? And we also need to make sure it doesn't cost more in terms of the actual work, but also in terms of the services on it. And so we created a training certification body that will train restoration contract or contractors. We've just aimed this at restoration for now because it's our core market. Yeah. Essentially train them on our eco-claim process, which is minimizes what they have to do because we understand construction and restoration. So we've structured in such a way that it's minimal extra effort, doesn't cost more, and we've proven this time and time again, and is independently verified by a third-party waste collector. So they essentially sort the, put the waste into certain bins, that the train through all this, this is waste management. There's lots of modules to it. So I'm oversimplifying, yeah. but in essence, sure. and, um, 
essentially that data is then fed into a software that we've developed, EcoClaim Tracks, as it's yep. called. And so we've essentially created a full dashboard that tracks all the waste on a specific project. Um, insurers can see it by region, by contractor, by branch. Um, and because the process is going through ISO certification, we ultimately are looking all the carbon reduced or avoided. We are looking to capture voluntary credits as a result of those activities. Okay. Okay. So, it, so not only do we have a training certification group, because you have to have that for the supply yeah. chain, because in order for insurers to track their supply chain, the supply chain has to be actively involved. Yeah. And so we've created that a dashboard that they can essentially see all the data in one place. Um, we've introduced AI into that so we can see, so it can analyze trends, analyze infrastructure in the region um, and determine what's sufficient and what isn't. And then the carbon exchange for us, not only do we get to track and inventorize what they're doing, but we can then essentially monetize the efforts that are down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is there is there like uh, with the carbon credits that you guys are like able to identify? Then uh, it, does that does that equal cash back for your customers essentially? Yeah. So the voluntary carbon markets, it, it, like last year in North America, around two point five billion voluntary credits were exchanged. Now we have something called compliant credits. Compliant uh, compliant credits are essentially government certified processes, and those are worth real tax credits. Yes. Voluntary carbon credits are essentially companies have captured it under there's lots of different standards and that's the problem. So there's a few reputable companies like ISO and gold standard that that are generally good, but of course there's hundreds of others that so the issue with them becomes the is it greenwashed? How do you how do you support that the voluntary carbon credit is real? And the value of them is largely based on the story behind them as well. Yeah. And so that that piece is in its infancy because we we've got it off the ground, but we have to do the training and roll out the software. And we've just launched with Gore Mutual, uh, a national insurer in Canada. They're the first launch partner, and we have several others in the works. And so we're really creating a bit of a wave here. And the government have come out and said by 2025, financial institutions, banks, and insurers have to report their so scope three emissions, which is their supply chain and claims. Gotcha. So we started out doing this because our customers said they wanted yeah, it. But it's going to become. The go and now legislative change is two, three years away, which I mean, it it's excellent for us because now whether you want it or not, do it or not, the government are saying you're going to have to. So our product's a bit, you know, you're going to need it, whether you like it yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very forward thinking. And um, that was just serendipitous. Like I said, the... Um, but the insurance industry as a whole, I've got to say, I've talked to lots of insurers and and the insurance industry really is getting ahead of sustainability and doing what they can. Like the, and quite rightly though, because they respond to the, the events behind it. So when there's increased fires everywhere, increased floods due to climate change, they're paying the bill. So they'd be silly not to, to be at the forefront of trying to prevent it getting worse. True, True. yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think they make a whole lot of money when an entire city burns down. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, and the consumer pays because yeah. rates go up. They're businesses, yeah, they right? Lose. Yeah. yeah. And so for us, that's the next big one is um, essentially a scaling a software training and carbon exchange. And 
and that's 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 what's in the horizon here so oh, that's amazing dude yeah that i'm that's really cool that's really cool i'm excited to see kind of what's coming next from you guys uh yeah absolutely so if like um if someone wanted to get a hold of you you know they want to engage your services who are your target clients and then how would they reach you yeah absolutely i mean so 60 percent of our business ties to insurance companies yeah. so we were respond to loss events and so quite it's quite a niche market with a niche customer yep. base so i mean through they they know how to contact us through our website but of course our other 40 percent of our businesses we work for um developers um providing civil engineering we work for large institutions um everything from oil and gas to cement um designing industrial facilities i always like to i always like to use this one so yeah you may know the cement factory in Canmore as you drive out. Well, we acquired uh, a company called Strudez Engineering um, last just over a year and a half ago. And so that is one of their designs. They did that. So I wasn't born when that was designed, yeah. but that is one of, one of our projects. And so every so essentially everything from your bog standard condo buildings all the way up to large industrial facilities. Very cool. And so, so any type of, uh, of, of engineering and design you guys can basically handle. Correct. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, man, this has been a heck of an interview. Um, really appreciate it, Ross. Thank you so much for coming you, on you the show. Well. Yeah, this has been. And I'll make sure you're my first guest on my new podcast <laughs> I, when I, it gets released. I would be honored to be on your podcast and I would love to chat business development with you on it. I think I'd Absolutely. That's what I want to talk about. Now, <laughs> absolutely. So. Absolutely. This has been episode 52 of the Business Development Podcast. We've been graced today by Ross Stewart, President and CEO of MBC Group. Uh, it's been absolutely amazing to have you, Ross. Thanks so much for coming on. And until next time, we will catch you on the flip side. This has been the Business Development Podcast with Kelly Kennedy. Kelly has 15 years in sales and business development experience within the Alberta oil and gas industry and founded his own business development firm in 2020. His passion and his specialization is in customer relationship generation and business development. The show is brought to you by Capital Business Development, your business development specialists. For more, we invite you to the website at www.capitalbd.ca. See you next time on the Business Development Podcast. Business Rockstars, we at the Business Development Podcast humbly invite you to be part of our journey. Despite our global reach spanning over 130 countries and our status as an award-winning show, we remain committed to delivering valuable insights and engaging content to our audience of decision makers. With two episodes released every single week and a back catalog of over 100 episodes, we strive to provide our listeners with the latest strategies and trends in business development and business growth. Why consider sponsoring us? Our listeners trust us to deliver authentic, informative content, making it an ideal platform for you to showcase your brand in a genuine and meaningful way. Choose from flexible sponsorship packages tailored to fit your advertising needs. With a back catalog of over 100 episodes and an average of eight new episodes released every single month, there are plenty of opportunities for you to connect with our audience. If you believe that your brand aligns with our humble mission, 
reach out to us at podcast at capital bd.ca. Let's start a conversation and explore how we can collaborate to elevate your brand together. Thank you for considering us. Send us an email at podcast at capital bd.ca and let's partner for the future.